If you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel 4 as we continue our series, The Search for a King. Things are really going to speed up in the narrative over the next few weeks. Um, And it's uh, really kind of a tough text that we come to today. But we have seen that God has uh, prophesied judgment to come on Eli and his house and really the people of Israel as a whole. And we're going to see them experience that today in this passage. So, uh, spoiler alert, we kind of come to a heavy passage that's full of judgment that is going to feel a little difficult for us. But I believe the Lord's called us today to kind of just sit in it and listen to what it is God has to say to us here in this text. You'll remember uh, young Samuel was uh, born miraculously and then dedicated to the temple and stayed there. And last week we studied how he was called by God and now he is going to lead God's people as a new prophet. And we are excited to see what he's going to do. But before we see that, uh, we have to go through these next few chapters and talk about some difficult things. So with all of this said, let's dive into the word of the Lord. We're going to read again this whole chapter in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. So if you will uh, read along with me, uh, we will study the word of God together. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come to the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. When the men came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and now his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who's come from battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. 
he judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark was captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending to her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Let's pray together. Lord, as we study a sobering text today, I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak clearly to us and to show us your truth in a way that we can grab hold of it and respond to it as your people. So we thank you for what you're going to do. We give this time to you. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. What's interesting here in chapter 4, because Samuel, who's literally the book is named after, is mentioned in verse 1, but, but what's interesting is that after this verse, we're not going to hear from Samuel again until chapter 7. So in a book where Samuel has been featured prominently to this point, he's kind of going to disappear for a little bit. In fact, it's so strange that some scholars have suggested perhaps this was a later edition by some scribes trying to fill in some of the historical context. There's really no reason for us to think that's the case. Instead, what I think we're seeing here is the transformation of God's people happening in real time. And here's what I want to just tell you. This is a thing that I think we often don't think about. But did you know that real change and real transformation tends to take some time? So Samuel was called by God and the lamp was still flickering and the word of the Lord was revealed once again. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, that's, that's not how it happens. Some of you may need that word of encouragement today because you feel that God has maybe called you to do something and, and you felt maybe even last week the Lord stirring some things in your heart, but, but you may have a chapters four through seven season to walk through, friend. You need to know that today. So we're not going to hear from Samuel for uh, another few chapters. And what we find here is a passage of judgment. The prophecies that have been prophesied toward Eli and his family are going to come true and even against Israel. In chapter 2, we see that they are going to battle against the Philistines. The Philistines are really the primary antagonist in this section of Scripture. They are the ones who are constantly coming at the people of God. But you need to know that God is sovereign and that he's actually using the Philistines as his sovereign tool of punishment and discipline for the people of God. So we met them, actually all the way back, we believe, in the book of Genesis. We see the Philistines a time or two. Uh, Abimelech, we, we think that was actually the Philistines. But the Philistines were a people of the coastal plains of Canaan, and they were very technologically advanced. Like, they had the iPhone of the ancient Mideast, all right? And here's what they had, iron. And they had taken iron, and they were making implements for farming and for warfare, and it was revolutionary. It was a game changer. We know this from archaeology, but also from the biblical text. So they would come, and they oppressed God's people. It was a back and forth that was happening all of the time. So we find the Philistines here coming to Aphek, and they come here, and there is this battle, and God's people war against them, and they get defeated. 4,000 people die. 
they pull back and when they pull back we see that the elders say man what in the world happened like we're god's people in fact did you notice the text said why did the lord defeat us like why, why are we defeated and this is wild to me because it's almost like an afterthought in the text i have an idea let's go get the ark so the ark of the lord the ark of the covenant was a wooden chest that was overlaid with gold and in this chest was literally the law of the lord the ten commandments the tablets were in this ark but this ark wasn't just like a, a mascot for them even though they kind of end up treating it that way but the ark of the lord represented his power and his presence among his people so they say hey let's go get the ark and they do and they bring it into the camp and when they bring it into the camp there's a huge reaction right everybody is pumped they are excited the ark is here the warriors are yelling that's what we forgot now we should be good in fact it was so bad that the philistines heard the yell and they say what's going on they had heard of yahweh they had heard of what was happening and they know the lord has come into that camp we're in trouble oddly enough though the philistines redouble their efforts they say we got to do something this is a serious situation so they double down and get together i love that passage they're like hey man up let's go we got a job to do and the lord uses them to discipline israel if you thought four thousand was a staggering number earlier they lose thirty thousand people and they're absolutely routed the tragedy continues as news gets back to shiloh of this defeat Eli is propped up by the gate. Big dude. Why is he a big dude? Because he's been eating the fat portions that belong to the Lord of the sacrifices. God's judgment's coming for him too. Notice the text said that he was very concerned about the ark though. I thought that was odd. Hophni and Phinehas, it doesn't say that he was worried about them. And even when he fell over, he didn't fall over at the news that his sons were gone. He fell over at the reality that the ark was gone. Even in his spiritual state of kind of confusion and not really walking with the Lord, he knew this was a huge deal. So when the guy tells him, your sons are dead and the ark is gone, he falls down, breaks his neck, and dies immediately. Tragedy continues. I'm telling you, this is so uplifting. I'm glad you came today. Phineas's wife is, is giving birth to a child and she's going to die in childbirth but before she dies she names this child Ichabod which is kind of weird because this is something you see a lot in the Bible they would name their children after significant events that were happening around them perhaps you do that I, I don't know that that really happens you know my uh, son Robert was born right in the middle of the COVID crisis in 2020 but we didn't name him lab leak or Wuhan or Corona or anything like that we, we named him Robert, right? Like, that's, that's normal, okay? Uh, but, but this lady says, his name is Ichabod, which means a heavy, heavy thing. No more glory. I imagine that was a song that, you know, a boy named Sue was something else, but imagine Ichabod's song when he got older, right? No more glory. This is a sobering passage, isn't it? challenging for us judgment has come to the household of god and it's also come to the people of israel through this military defeat and the glory of god was gone the glory symbolized by the ark but also literally the glory of god was not there with his people 
We're going to see in the weeks ahead that God is still all about his glory. In fact, he's going to demonstrate that in an incredible way in chapter 5. And i got to tell you, I wanted to preach like 4 or 5 together so that we could be like, this is really sad, let's get to the glory part. But friends, I, I believe it would be wise for us to consider here what the Lord may be showing us in the midst of a tragic passage. So let's not rush past this together believe the Lord has a message for us that we need to consider. So let's do that together. The first truth I want us to consider is God's gracious judgment. God's gracious judgment. Now, grace and judgment aren't two words that we generally would put together, right? Like this is not something that, that we usually talk about in the same context. But what I need you to understand is that the word of God is going to bear this out over and over and over. Romans 2.4 is going to tell us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Hebrews 12.6 says that God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children. Did you know that a loving father disciplines his children? And a loving God disciplines those that he loves, his sons and daughters. So how does this discipline work itself out? How does this judgment show itself? Well, if you've been here at Crossroad, we've talked many times about God's judgment and wrath. And when you hear that term wrath or, or you hear judgment, immediately what our minds tend to go to is the final judgment, judgment day. And we go immediately to that. And by the way, we're going to get there here in a little bit. But what we find in Romans chapter 1, and we've talked about at length multiple times, Times, is that God's wrath is revealed in two different ways. First, God's wrath will be revealed when those who do not come to Christ, those who do not repent and believe, will spend eternity in hell separated from God, eternally under his wrath. But the other side of God's wrath and his judgment is what Romans 1 is going to tell us is that God's wrath is being revealed today in the way that God lets us walk into the ridiculous consequences of our sinful choices. Romans 1 uses this phrase three or four times, so God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave, so essentially saying, God let them walk into their sin and let them go into the consequences thereof. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? that you and I can find ourselves in a situation where we're facing the judgment of God and in a sense, his wrath by walking into the middle of something that is totally outside of his will for our lives. But I want to tell you today that it's actually God's grace that allows us to get to that spot. Why is that? Because until we get into that position, friends, we often don't know how desperately we need the grace of Jesus. How desperately we need his help. Are you thankful for the judgment of God in your life? <laughs> that sounds wild to think about. I remember a, a dear friend one time, I was a, a young adult pastor friend, was praying over a situation in his family for one of his children. And he prayed, Lord, make them absolutely miserable. I, was kind of, I opened my eyes in the middle of the prayer like whoop can you pray that <laughs> and I guess he sensed the awkwardness because after the prayer he said listen until you know how much you need the Lord's grace 
you're not going to return. Like the prodigal son had to get all the way to the hog slop before he was ready, right? So are you under God's wrath today? Or are you experiencing God's judgment? Let, let me just tell you, friends, I, I don't know and I can't answer that for you. Uh, the reality is we do live in a fallen world where rough things happen. Bad circumstances come. We encounter difficulty in our lives. But perhaps you're in the middle of that situation today because of your sinful choices that led you there. But can I tell you, however you got there or however you got here, can I tell you what the solution is? The grace of Jesus. And in his grace, he is giving you an opportunity to respond today. But it matters how you respond, friends. Because what we see in the text, secondly, is man's half-hearted response. Oh, it's a tragedy. Here they were. If there was ever a reset moment, if ever they were encountering God's gracious judgment, they lost 4,000 people and they reset. The elders, the leaders of the people could have said, Guys, clearly we have broken the heart of God. We have broken the commandments of the Lord. Let's humble ourselves. Let's repent and let's change so that the Lord can help us out of the... But that's not what they do, is it? Again, note that it's almost an afterthought. Let's go grab the ark. They were treating the Lord really as a mascot. Let's go get them and bring them in. It's kind of the idea that if we push the right buttons and pull the right levers and do the right religious things and act in the right way and make all of these things happen and look really good, then we'll be able to get what it is that we think we want and need. This goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the issue of entitlement. We think that if we do the right religious things, we give enough, serve enough, be present enough, and do our Bible studies enough, that God is going to give us what it is that we think we need to make it through. Oh, but, but guys, that's not how the Lord works. Are you worshiping the Lord just to try to get something out of him? If you are, you're not truly worshiping the Lord. You're worshiping yourself and dragging the ark along with you. This has devastating consequences, friends. They had the ark... They had the symbol of God's glory, but friends, the people were already Ichabod. It was already a people of no glory. It, it looked good. It sounded good. That This is really the danger of half-hearted response. It actually looked good and felt good right the ark can you imagine the scene the ark comes in uh, they're shouting the text said the earth resounded like the earth is shaking and responding to this moment even the enemy goes oh guys we're in trouble but it was actually void of the power and presence of god they were ichabod oh church I i'm concerned today because it's so easy, I believe, for the people of God today, the Western church, even for Crossroad Church, to be the church of Ichabod. To look good, to sound good, to even feel good and seem good and make a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, be void of the power and presence of God. 2 Timothy 3.5, that says they have the appearance of godliness but lack the power thereof. 
Oh, that can become us quicker than we realize. And we can be a people who come to the devastating point where we see in the text that the glory departs. The glory departs. Now, we need to talk about this for a minute because you and I are not part of the old covenant that we find here in the Old Testament. Do you remember the Old Covenant? We've mentioned this almost every week in this series so far. At Mount Sinai, God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. This covenant was predicated on obedience and worship. If you worship me and obey me, then I will bless you and I will be with you and I will defend you. But God's people rebelled against him. And every time they would rebel against him, God really would remove his hand of blessing and would allow discipline and again, gracious judgment to come. And his heart was that this gracious judgment would lead them to a point where they went back to his loving care and protection. That was his heart. But what you need to know is that you and I are not part of that old covenant. But through Jesus Christ, you and I are now part of a new covenant. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you and I have been brought into a new covenant. And here's what you need to understand. The power and presence of God is not in a wooden chest overlaid with gold. The power and the glory of the Lord is in hearts of flesh that is overlaid with the blood of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we said this last week, and I want you to marvel at this fact again, that when you come to Christ in that very moment, the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. Oh, are you amazed at that today? The, the glory of God is not beside you, around you, above you, behind. The glory of God resides in you through the Holy Spirit of God. Do you believe that today? And do you live in the reality of that today? In Genesis 3, the fall of man in the garden, God's people who were indwelt with His glory, they had the Spirit, they were walking in the garden, but sin comes in, and when sin comes in, in that moment, the glory departs. And every single human being after that who has come finds themselves in the position of being a sinner that doesn't experience the glory of God like they did in the garden. But the Bible tells us that even though we're sinners, God loved us so much that he created a way for us to experience his glory. And the way we experience his glory is by recognizing first that we don't have the glory of God residing in us. that we recognize because of our sin we're separated from him so the only solution is for us to make ourselves righteous before God so that we can once again experience his glory spoiler alert you're not going to be able to do that but God loved us enough that he sent Jesus and Jesus lived a perfect life he never sinned he never did anything outside of the will of his father yet he hung on the cross and as he hung on the cross Jesus paid the price for your sins and mine and he died taking sin and death to the grave but God raised him up three days later victorious over sin and death and when we surrender our lives to him and call on him and ask him to be our Lord and our Savior in that very moment friends the Holy Spirit of God takes residence in us 
and we experience his glory in a way like we have never imagined possible before. Oh, do you know Jesus today? The reality is the glory departed from every single one of us because of our sin, but we can experience his glory again today through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, do you know him? But here's where we got to get a, a little more detailed. Because a bunch of you are like, yeah, I, I know the Lord. I, I asked him to be my savior. But, but here's what I want to acknowledge today. There is a sense where even as believers, we can walk and live in such a way that in a sense, the, the glory departs. When we live ignoring the Holy Spirit of God, when we don't walk in the Spirit, when we ignore the Spirit of God in us, can I tell you, there is a way that we walk that will rob us of the blessing of God in our life. You say, well, pastor, I don't know about that. Well, let me read you the Bible. I'm turning here to Romans chapter 8. You don't, you don't have to try to Bible drill, but if you're better than me, you can get there maybe. But I'm already there, so uh, there you go. I win today. Get an extra bowl of chili tonight. <laughs> hey, I had to just uh, have to make that okay, however it works. Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. I want to read this to you. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to tell you today that I believe there are many Christians who gave their lives to Christ, who surrendered their lives to Him. And, and I don't believe you can lose your salvation. We've said that many times. I've pointed to the texts that, that tell us why that's the case. But I believe there is a way where you can live your life as a saved believer while ignoring the reality of the Holy Spirit of God that indwells you. And when you live your life ignoring the Holy Spirit that indwells you, you are going to miss out on the experience that God wants you to have day in and day out as his follower. And I believe that probably, this is a huge broad statement, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyways. I believe the majority of Christ followers today in America are living that way. They got saved and it was a real meaningful experience, but maybe it was teaching or lack of teaching or maybe it's just the world around them. But we are wired to walk in the flesh and we've never truly known what it is to walk in the spirit. And many of you may be in that state today and you don't even know it. You may say, now, pastor, this sounds a little bit weird. Can I give you an I'm just and just in case you're going to email me, I'm trying to give you lots of biblical examples here. Okay. Remember Samson? Strong dude. Probably, you know, yoked like me. Wow, thank you for your laughter. Y'all were quick on that. A little too quick. There's this wild verse. This is a few generations before where we're at in the, the Bible's narrative here in 1 Samuel. But not that long ago, historically speaking. Samson was one of the judges God used. In fact, he was battling the Philistines. And do you remember Delilah cut his hair? And when she cut his hair, 
the power of God had left him. There's this wild verse. He wakes up, he jumps up. I think this is Judges 16.20, but, you know, write that down and check it. But here's where, find the story, you're going to find this verse. Here's what it says. And Samson didn't know that the presence of the Lord had left. Can I tell you, I feel like when the American church tries to stand up and flex today, we don't realize that the presence of the Lord has already left. I came across a quote a few years ago that has messed me up ever since. And here's what it said. If the Holy Spirit were to leave the modern American church, would we even know it? Would we even know it? I mean, so much of what we do in the church today is dependent on us. It's dependent on man. It's like, let's get the right music, the right lights, the, the fog machine, the, the right preacher in skinny jeans. Let's give them the great hospitality experience. Let's do all these things. Let's get the right kids ministry and youth ministry. Let's put all the ingredients and mix it together, and you have a great church. But at the end of the day, you can have all of those things and you can even have the world saying, that's a pretty awesome place. You can have other people in the camp saying, yay, the ark of the Lord is here. But at the end of the day, it's empty of the power and presence of God unless we are a people who are full of His Spirit. So has the glory departed today in your life? What do we do if we find ourselves in this place? Well, the text isn't going to lead us there, but we're going to see this happening in the next few weeks. And I just want to issue this today. The call is to respond and repent. To turn back. This is what the Lord was inviting his people to do, and they had chances to do it. And this is really the tragedy of chapter 4, guys. The tragedy is not that we have a God who judges. As I said, it's really his grace that allows us into these situations. The tragedy is that the Lord in his grace, mercy, and love gave them time and time and time again to repent, and they never did. Think of Eli. He had two prophecies. Like the Lord came twice in miraculous ways and gave him words to say, your sons are evil. And who knows? Like the second time, you know, last week we said that the text said, no matter how many offerings or things you do, it's too late. But we've seen the Lord say that in other times. And do you remember like, uh, you know, you had the Abraham situation where he's almost reverse auctioneering with the Lord in Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Read your Bibles more. God says, I'm going to wipe out this people. Moses is like, what if there's 40 good people? Surely we wouldn't do that. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it if there's 40 there. All right, well, what about 40? And we have, I have a look at 40, you know, like trying to work it down. He gets it down to like a handful of people, and guess what? They still weren't there. God in his grace was giving opportunities, but the people didn't repent. Here's what I need to tell you today, friends, and I tell you this with love. There will come a day where it will be too late for you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And on that day, can I tell you, you will recall moments like these where the Lord was giving you such clear opportunities to repent and believe. 
But there will come a day where God's eternal wrath that we talked about earlier will be a reality in the life of those who never repent. But it's also critical, friends, that that we say this. Those of you today who do know the Lord, you need to repent too. Ephesians 5, 18 says, don't be drunk with wine. Some of y'all, that's enough. You need to repent. Don't look at them if they're sitting by you, all right? But here's what it says. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, I just need a little wine to cut the edge off at the end of the day. You know, it's really the only way I function. It becomes a joke, but you're actually kind of like a low-key alcoholic. Maybe for you, it's not alcohol. For you, it's don't be filled with Netflix, Don't be filled with food. Don't be filled with Facebook. Don't be filled with cable news. Don't be filled with all of these things. Instead, do you know what you need, friends, and what the Lord and His grace is trying to tell you you need? To be filled with the Spirit. Now, I said earlier, the reality is when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you in that moment. But the text of the Bible is going to continually say, be filled. Uh, And in the text of the Greek, it means be continually filled. So you are filled with the Spirit. But what this is asking is that we would be constantly aware and reminded of the Holy Spirit's presence in us in such a way that the Holy Spirit is renewing our minds, renewing our hearts, changing the way we think, feel, live and go and here's what I want to tell you when you're full of the world you're going to live like the world when you're full of your social media feed you're going to live like your social media feed when you're full of the television shows you're watching you're going to live like that when you're full of the flesh you are going to live like the flesh and so many believers are there today friends but God has something way way better He wants us to be filled with His Spirit in such a way that our minds are renewed and that we can live in a radically different way so that we can fulfill the vision and the mission that God has given us as His people. And this is really possible. It can happen, guys. But we have to stop being content with being filled with the things of the world. We have to stop being content living without the glory of God. We don't need to be Ichabod. Instead, with the Holy Spirit's help, we need to run to God. Yeah, that rhymed. You're welcome. Tweet it. Is Twitter even a thing anymore? I don't even know. Here's what I want you to consider, friends. So, there's a letter in Revelation chapter 2 that God wrote to the church in Ephesus the very church that he had said be filled with the spirit y'all Ephesus had a wild story like go back to the book of Acts the the gospel radically changed that city they're like burning books like and it wasn't like hey repent and burn your evil books no the Holy Spirit of God was renewing their minds so they're like you know what I'm done with TV I'm done with social media I'm done with all the they're burning their magic books in the town square they turn that town so upside down that a riot breaks out because people are repenting isn't that wild God used that church in an absolutely incredible ways. You've studied the letter of Ephesians that was so powerful, and you think, wow, what a great church. But what do we find in Revelation chapter 2? 
God says, man, you, you guys are doing a great thing. Jesus says, you're not tolerating false teachers. You're not putting up with bad doctrine. You are staying strong. You know the, the theology. You've got all this stuff together. But he says this, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. And the tragedy is what we know of history is that eventually the, the Ephesian church folds. Church history tells us that. They didn't make it. They never returned to their first love. It sounded good. It looked good. I'm sure it even felt good sometimes, but it was an Ichabod church. Oh, but church, the Lord loves Crossroad too much to let us be Ichabod. He loves your family too much to let you live without the glory of God. He loves you too much to let you live without the glory of God. You say, well, how do you experience that, Pastor? Can I tell you how you experience the glory of God? Repent and let your life be filled with the Holy Spirit of God instead of the things of you and the things of this world. A renewed mind and a renewed life with the power of the Holy Spirit would look like revival in your life and that would lead to revival in this church and in this city. Oh Lord, may it happen today. We're living in Ichabod, but we have a God who is all about His glory. And He can use you and me to be part of His work. Lord, thank You for Your Word today. God, I would pray that by your spirit, you would do a work in us. Oh, Father, forgive us for being content with worldliness, for being content with half-hearted religion, for being content living a life apart from your glory. Oh, I pray that you would show us and make us aware of the Holy Spirit that lives within us and that we would be filled with your Spirit in such a way that we have a renewed heart, a renewed mind, a renewed life so that we can be your people living for your glory. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do.